0: If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4. And again, what a wonderful morning of singing, worship through song, and now as we get to worship through the preaching and the reading of God's Word. As you turn to Luke chapter 4, as I told you last week, I overestimated the wealth of treasure that is in these texts, and so we've extended our our stay in the wilderness. I will admit that when we were in Jerusalem, or, or in Israel, two and a half years ago, the wilderness was not the place that I wanted to extend my stay, right Randy? <laughs> As I was sharing with family at a family reunion yesterday, that there were places in Israel uh, that that if I could go back, the way that I would do it is, is I would bypass some places and I would just camp out, literally just pop up a tent and just camp in some of those areas. The desert was not one of them. But as we are walking through this, I do believe that you will enjoy our time. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, after the baptism of Christ, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, into the desert where for 40 days he has a showdown with satan we only get to see three temptations but there were many in fact the entire time that jesus is there satan is constantly tempting him we get to see the very end of the 40 days and probably the three hardest ones here and so Without failure, Christ overcomes all temptations, and in His victory, He validates Himself as the perfect Son of God, who has power and victory over not only just Satan, but over flesh and and the world over sin, who is our perfect sacrifice, And so last week we zoomed in on the first temptation and we saw that Satan was tempting Christ to distrust in the provision of God, which would have nullified our salvation because for a moment he would have to have he would have to have abandoned his humanity and then relied on his own personal, his own deity to be able to turn the stone into bread and thus eat, which would have been the damnation of us all. This morning, we're going to look at the second temptation. We're going to look at the, the, uh, the that Satan tempts Christ to distrust in the plan of God, the plan of salvation, resulting in, in the worship of Satan and destroying God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again. The second temptation we find is Satan tempting Jesus to distrust in the plan of God, for salvation resulting in the worship of satan and destroying god's kingdom and by the power of god and by the, just the beauty of his majesty christ he is victorious over this temptation as we read this verse read these verses i want you again we're going to have the same outline as last week we're going to see three things we're going to see the devil's temptation we're going to see the potential sin, and then we will close out with the Messiah's response. So, so again, let's go back to uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And then he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And in a moment of time, and the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. If you will take notice of the devil's temptation. This is the second temptation. Now in Matthew, you would find that it is in a different order. For some reason, we believe that that Luke had a had a reason for taking the second and third temptation and flipping them, maybe because his focus is going to be a lot on uh, Jerusalem. We're not really sure, but Luke has a reason for it. But chrono- but the chronological order is, not w- is what is important here. But according to Matthew, that Satan has not only just led him up to a high place, he led him up to a very high mountain, which it means that he has offered him a fantastic view of the land now again i keep referring back to our time in in israel because i was there because i kind of understand the feel of being in a high vantage point there in israel i actually can understand the the cleverness of satan in this moment i I can testify to you that uh, the wonder and the amazement that you feel when you go up to a high mountain when you go up to a high point in Israel and you just overlook even in the desert if you were to go up to Masada and and look out across the desert and the Dead Sea even that was amazing in and of itself but there were other places in Israel where you would go and you would see that just the land and the beauty and there is a feeling of amazement and wonder And so one can be overwhelmed with their senses. One can be overwhelmed with the sense of what they see. And and all of a sudden, you find yourself in the shoes of the Apostle Peter, who on the Mount of Transfiguration says to Jesus, Do we have to go down? Can can I just camp out right here and hang out with you and Moses and the prophets? Can can we just stay here for a little while? There were times in Israel where I was like, "Do, Do we have to go? This is a beautiful view. Let, let's just camp out and have a prayer meeting. And so here you have Jesus, where the devil leads him up, and through the the, the the sense of sight, he he wants to overwhelm him with the beauty of what he sees. And so once they arrive, Lucifer provides Christ with this view, but not only a view of the land, but he gives him. This, this vision of the world's kingdoms and he offers them to Christ. He offers to Jesus an opportunity to rule as the king of kings over all of them. Notice the phrase moment of time. Notice what he said there. He, he shows him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I found that to be a very interesting phrase in the study this week, that the Greek signifies a flash, a a, a lightning flash, a brief glimpse of something that would overwhelm you and leave you wanting more. Some have argued that this was a supernatural vision. Some have argued that it wasn't. Whatever it was, we do know this, is that Luke wants us to know that in this brief moment, in this brief glimpse that Christ receives, it would have tempted him. It would have grabbed a hold of his, of his emotions and his feelings. And it would have began to draw him to the offer that Satan has laid on the table. This would have been a spectacular view leaving a person wanting more. It's much like a, a preview of a movie, a movie trailer that you may watch on YouTube where you, you go and you watch the new, you know, in, in three or four months the movie's coming out but they give you a two and a half minute movie clip or, or trailer and you're left, I want to go see that movie. I'm going to buy a ticket and I'm going to watch that movie. It's exactly what this is going on here. It, it has left Christ with this with this desire maybe this emotion of, of maybe this is a good offer and this is something i need to really look into beloved some would call this the lust of the eyes again not it's not sin yet we haven't gotten to sin just the temptation to to see that out in the world and just desire it first john two fifteen through 17 tells us that do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, and then he says, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Simply put, though, the lust of the eyes would have been this desire, this temptation, not sin yet, but temptation to see something in the world that appeals to you, and you begin to have feelings or a desire within you wanting it. But dear friends, we can actually sum this up into something even more sinister, this is the temptation to break the tenth commandment thou shalt not covet it's exactly what satan is satan is doing here he is he's trying to make jesus covet the kingdoms of the world that he may take them as his own that he may take satan up on his offer and so here he comes to the tenth commandment in, in trying to have him sin oh dear friends the the lust of the eyes, the, 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 the appeal that the world has to us is a very powerful temptation over us. Especially when you consider how many men and women have fallen in these temptations. When they have fallen based upon what they saw, that which was appealing to their, to their eyesight. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, did we not read of Eve? Who Satan used the very same temptation on her? Who comes to her and says, "Eve, look at this fruit that God has said that you cannot have." And we read in Genesis three, verse six, where Eve says to herself, "Where it says it was pleasing to the eye." She she noticed that the fruit looked good. She needed to eat it. Or how about in the book of Joshua? God has, God has promised the people of Israel that they're going to go into the promised land and they're going to take the promised land without defeat. They will have victory in every battle, if you will do what I say. And so God had told them that they were to not take the spoils of war in certain battles. But there was a man by the name of Achan. And there in the, gospel, in, in, the in the book of Joshua, he, when he is confronted with his sin, of taking that which he shouldn't, he says, when I saw, when I saw the gold, when I saw the silver, I coveted them. Or how about King Ahab? Who had everything that he needed and more, had everything that he ever wanted and more. But he saw a vineyard that he did not own. And when he saw it, He seized it by killing its owner. Dear friends, you need to know that the glitter and the sparkle of the world and its things are a strong attraction that has led many to sin. This is no insignificant temptation. This is a temptation that we have all found ourselves in and fallen very short in. Because we live in a society today of moments, do we not? Do we not live in a culture, in a society today of moments? You can be in your house watching TV, and then all of a sudden an advertisement or a person comes in, and then within a split second, you, in that moment, you found something that appeals to your flesh, appeals to your eyes. It is sinful. You know it's sinful. But, but that moment came, and you were left wanting Oh, dear friends, we have these brief, intense moments where we view things of the world and we are left wanting more. I must ask you today. What worldly things do you have? What worldly things do you see that appeal to you that God has said that you cannot have? Or God has not given you? And yet you see and you desire earnestly to take what things catch your eyes and scream to you take it take it by your own force take it by your own hands don't wait on god for some of us it may be well that we are not content with what god has given us and we have to have more and so we're really good until we see that someone else has a lot of wealth or we see that someone else has has some things that we don't have that that they were able to buy things that that we would like to buy and so we're good until all of a sudden we begin to see others and we are left wanting more than what god has given us for some it may be sexual pleasure dear friends we live in a very perverted world today we live in a world today where you get, where any movie you watch any preview anything on social media do you have you ever wondered why you you say uh, the things that just pop up and they 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 know they can catch your vision and so what happens is is in these moments we begin to question am i really happy with my spouse you know, am I really happy with my marriage? Maybe, you know, that over there, that that person over there brings appeasement to me and maybe I would be happier with them. Or maybe I would be happier watching things. What about materialism? I do find, again, funny how you can mention something and your phone, all of a sudden on social media, there's an advertisement for it. it it just never fails we you talk about things i mean of all the things uh, my son and i he's we've been talking about coon traps you know doll proof coon traps and lo and behold brian you can buy this trap i I have never mentioned i've never thought about buying one until recently for my son and then all of a sudden advertisements galore and they present to you this visual advertisement of a price that you should not pass up and so we we see materialism in the world we we view what other people have had their houses their cars their clothes we view the thing the toys that they have i have to have it maybe it's a future maybe it's a whole new life you want a whole new you're not content with your life your life has too many health problems your life has too many trials. Your life has too many low points, too many difficulties. And you look at another person's life and it's just easy going and you just think, I want their life. Or maybe it's the church. You view the church down the road. You view the things that they do. You view the way their preacher preaches. You view the music that they sing. You view what they do in their programs and then you begin to maybe that's what i want even though god has placed you in this church and you have covenanted with this church we begin to allow the visual appeal of other churches to move us away from a faith family that we have coveted with for years the church is not exempt in this and so fbc is it a sin to see something and for it to appeal to you? No. But you need to know that it is a powerful temptation. You need to know that the scriptures tell us in the, in the book of James that, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And so the lust of the eyes will entice us and carry us away. It will draw us into sin. Exactly what Satan is trying to do with Christ. You must not allow the glitter and the sparkles of this world to lure you into sin. Because, dear friends, I'm here to tell you, the sparkle is not a diamond and the glitter is not gold. What you see looks good on the outside and you think it will bring you great happiness. But what happens is, is that when you divorce your spouse and you marry someone else, you begin to realize it's the same. It's not as glamorous as I thought. When you go and you buy those things that you do not have and you place yourself in greater debt, it's not as glamorous as you thought. Oh, dear friend, you must instead resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The scriptures tell us. Or maybe we are to be like Joseph in Genesis, who fleed himself when he was approached by another woman. At the end of the day, the Scriptures tell us a very simple thing, that when the things of this world begin to entice our eyes, when they begin to appeal to us to make unwise and sinful decisions, that you are to run, to shut your eyes and run away. Oh, dear friend, and as you'll see in just a moment, there is a place that you can run. There there is a place of beauty and sparkle and glitter. And it's all that and more. It is called the Word of God. But I would say to you first, dear friends, you must run. You must run away from that which tempts you to sin. But notice also the potential sin. Notice verse 6. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. As I stated at the beginning of this, the temptation, this potential sin, is that Satan is tempting Christ to distrust the plan of God, resulting in the worship of another. Now, I want you to notice that Satan is showing off here. And he is lying. He's trying to offer something that he does not fully possess. It's the very thing that he did in the Garden of, of Eden there with Eve. Eve, take of this fruit, even though it was not his to give away. He's doing the same thing. And so we ask the question, we we say, well, how can he make such an offer? Is it possible that Satan can give this to Christ? Is it possible that he can give something to people that, that is not truly his to give away, that he does not truly own? Well, according to the Bible, yes and no. So what do you mean by that? Well, According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 and 4, we read this. It says, "And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the god of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they may not see the gospel of the, go- the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." We see this throughout the gospel too, in the gospel of John where he is referred to the ruler of this world. But what does it mean? I think Corinthians helps us with this, that this rule, this that he has in this world is not that he owns it, it's not that he possesses it, but that he rules it through his influence over the world. He rules it through the worldly systems and the sinfulness of man. Obviously, God is the ruler and God possesses all of this. It is his creation. But when Adam sinned, Satan steps in there and he begins to have influence over the world. But ultimately we know that it is God's and nothing is Satan is allowed to do nothing that God does not give him permission to do. Even at the end of the day, God is sovereign even over the devil. And so therefore what Satan is saying here is, is that he is ultimately offering the kingdoms of the world to Christ through his influence. He will influence these kingdoms and these nations to follow and serve Christ as the King of Kings. is that really bad i mean the bible does it not tell us that jesus is going to rule as the king of kings over the world well yes it does doesn't it, it promises that that we're psalms chapter 2 verse 8 that where where god says he says ask of me and i will surely give you the nations of your inheritance talking about his son christ he says in the very ends of the earth as your possession Certainly the Scriptures say that Christ will inherit. Isn't Jesus God? Isn't He God the Son and therefore the nations came about because of Him? It, did he, is it not through His power that all of this was created and it all belongs to Him? Yes, yes and yes. And yet here Jesus is, 30 years old in a desert with no crown, no kingdom, no food, Matter of fact, besides the clothes on his back, he has nothing. And worse, dear friends, he knows that in order to gain the crown that God has promised him, he will have to suffer and die. The kingdom that God has planned for him comes to fruition only through his suffering and his pain and his turmoil and his hardship and his abandonment and his death. So when Satan says to him I can make this happen. I can bring about everything that God is telling you that give you a kingdom the same kingdom that I can bring about this all of them will follow you the people will be yours you can rule over them and you can bring them into an era of peace and morality. I can do this for you. A different plan It will be immediate. You don't have to wait another three years. And there's no pain. There's no suffering. In Jesus, there's no death. It actually seems like Satan is trying to help Jesus out. Beloved, here is the sin. To follow and embrace the plan of Satan, Christ would have to... Christ would be distrusting in the plan of God for our salvation. You see, what Satan wants is for Jesus to sin against God the Father by doubting the Father's plan which involves the Son's death and resurrection bringing about the redemption of His people. And Christ knew this. Christ understood the plan from the very get-go before He ever came and took on flesh. He understood the plan. He knew from the beginning that this plan of salvation meant the cross of Calvary. And He understood and He knew that any detour or any shortcut would abolish and nullify our salvation. To have taken this detour, to have taken the easier way out, He would have a a crown without the cross. He would have a political throne and a political people, but not a spiritual one. It's not enough that Jesus rule as our King, dear friends. It's not enough that He come back and He set up His kingdom. Christ has to die. Why? Because you and I are sinful. It's not enough that we have just a good president. For some of us, that's our hope. We just need a good president. We just need a good king. We just need a good government. If we can get all of that fixed out there, then everything's going to be okay. Dear friends, even if Christ was your king, without dying and rising from the grave, you are still dead in your sins and nothing is okay. You see, the problem of this world isn't that it needs better leaders. It isn't that it needs a better government. The problem of this world isn't that they persecuted Christ and they would not just accept him as their king. The problem of this world is that you have a sinful heart and I have a sinful heart and we are dead in our sins. We are dead in our trespasses and there is nothing any of us can do about it. Satan knew this. I'll give you a kingdom, but when they die, they're mine. We need a new heart. We need a new life. We need our sins forgiven. We need a Savior. And this is why the cross of Calvary was so important. This is why the resurrection of Christ was so important. We needed the perfect sacrifice. We needed the King of Kings not just to come and rule and reign over us. We needed the King of Kings to lay His life down as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That His blood may cover and forgive And that through His resurrection, we may have life, we may have a new heart. So the cross of Christ. So at the cross, Jesus died for our sins. And at the tomb, He rose in victory and defeated the curse. Beloved, what you need is a Savior. And so I ask you this morning, have you lived your life in hopes that your salvation... That the hope of this world is found in worldly leaders. If you believe that, you have bought into the plan of Satan. If you believe the hope of this world is found in men and women who can lead us into a better future, to a brighter future, you have bought into the very plan that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with. You have rejected the worship of God and given, it to the, and given your worship to men You put stock in the plans of men as being greater than the plans of God. That there is some way, there is somehow you can find your way into heaven without going through the cross of Calvary. You have believed and worshipped and served Satan. I call on you today to recognize your sin. Recognize the, the foolishness of this plan the foolishness that all roads lead to the lead to the same place dear friends that only one road leads to god only one road leads to heaven only one road leads to where our sins are forgiven and we are made new and that is through the cross of calvary and i call on you to repent of your sins and place your faith in christ come to him asking him to forgive you of your sins rely on him as the perfect sacrifice and as the one who was rose from the grave in all power and glory. Oh beloved, you can do that today. Come to Christ today. Because the plan of God, the plan of salvation, is the only plan that you and I will ever find salvation. And FEC, let me also say this, not only do we, do this now. And I call on you that if you are not saved, that you to do this. But hear me: for those of you who are believers, you need to understand and know that this is what we preach. We don't preach another way. We don't preach another way to find the forgiveness of sins, to find the people's way in Him. We preach Christ and Him crucified, for it is the only way. And we find here by God's power, the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit, the Word that Jesus does not fall for the sin. Notice what happens. As we look at the Messiah's response, he says, I will give you all of this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And then notice the response of Christ. He answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love this. Here Satan is, he offers a kingdom without a price. He says to Jesus, if you'll just bow, it's just one time, Jesus, bow one time. Nobody's here. I won't even tell the demons. No one's here. No one's going to see. No one's going to know. It's a one-time occurrence. You don't have to continually bow. You just need this one time to bow your knee to me, and you don't have to suffer. You don't have to wait. It's all yours, brother. And I'll leave you alone after that and let you rule. Just give me this one little easy moment. And the crown is yours. It seemed like a no-brainer Christ would receive the promised kingdom without all of the pain. But this is why Jesus' response is so important. Dear friends, because Scripture always reveals the truth. Scripture always reveals that the glitter is not gold and the sparkle is not diamonds. Scripture always reveals God's right plan for your life. When the glory of Satan's plan began to appease and to maybe even entice Christ, he quotes Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. And he declares the truth of God's plan. He declares the truth of Scripture. Satan, you're lying to me. Your plan is not a better plan. Your path is not a better path. Worship belongs to God and God alone. I love this. Exodus 20, verse 3 tells us that worship, dear friends, is not a both and. You hear me? Your worship of God is not a both and. I don't get the crown and the cross. Or without the cross. I don't don't get the crown without going through the suffering. I I, I don't get to worship Christ, but also for a moment, sin. I I don't get to worship Him and be His Son and, and call Him Abba Father. And yet, come over here and bow for just a moment. Exodus 20 verse 3 tells us that it is an either or. Another translation, probably even maybe a little better is, is have no others before me. Have none other but me. Not even for a moment, not even for a second. You either follow me and worship me alone or you don't worship me at all. You either trust my plan for your life or you don't trust in me at all. You worship and bow to me and bow to no one else. And if you bow to anyone else, don't bow to me. Beloved, the plans of Satan and the ways of this world, they tend to tempt us, don't they? You see, what happens is is that you want to be a Christian, but yet you love this world, and so you begin to look at the things of this world and the way and the lifestyles of this world, and you begin to reason in your mind that you can do it. You begin to you begin many a times to justify your lifestyle, justify your decisions based upon your reasoning. I can bow just one time. You begin to justify your decisions and your lifestyles. And you begin to try to mix the worship of God with the lifestyle and the things of this world by the way you feel, by your emotions. And and we hear this all the time. I I, I just feel this is God's will for my life. And what happens is, is that we no longer question that because you can't question the mystical feeling that everyone gets. You begin to say, well, I've talked to other people and this is what they say. And then there's that whole mystical practices that we expound, the issue of, uh, of that we just, we just know that, that somehow the will of God is in the air. And if I, if I do this and I look at the right bumper sticker and, I, and, and I, God give me a sign and then this sign happens and that sign happens, I know that's the will of God for my life. Dear friends, Jesus went to the Scriptures and He declared that what Satan was offering to Him was not the will of God for His life. How did He know Because it was a sin to worship anyone but God. And not only that, the scriptures have been pointing to the cross of Calvary since the very beginning. FBC, can I say something to you this morning? Stop trying to figure out what God wants you to do. With reason and emotions and feelings and mystical practices. And start going to the scriptures. Go to the Word of God and stop justifying your behavior and justifying your sins based upon how you feel and your reasoning. And stop saying that God's okay with these things. Here's what we do. And here's one of the ways you can know when you're doing something that is wrong. When what you appeals to you begins to diminish your worship of God is sin. When you start coming to church less and when you start being involved with the body of Christ, when you start, when you start praying, and when you start meeting with and evangelizing, when, when it diminishes your worship and your service to God because of whatever it is that appealed to you, you are sinning and it is not the will of God. And here's newsflash for you. When you diminish the worship of God, you increase the worship of Satan. Because behind every idol stands Satan himself. Stop saying these things are God's plans. It's not God's plan for you to buy whatever you want to buy and go into debt. When you are in debt up to your eyeballs, we need to go to the Word of God. When we are tempted to go and get those toys of the world, Proverbs twenty two, twenty six through twenty seven. Be not of the one, be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, you should be. Uh, why should your bed be taken from under you? And yet, the glitter of the world leads us into more and more debt because we just know God needs. I, I need that new truck. When you begin to have thoughts about divorce and you begin to think, you know, maybe if I had that spouse over there, maybe that woman or that man will make me happier. I'm just not happy in my marriage. Go to Matthew 5, verse 31 through 33 that says that divorce is a sin. And to divorce and to remarry is a sin. And don't sit there and say that God has ordained my divorce because I'm just not happy. It's not God's plan for you to consistently miss the corporate worship gathering. For whatever excuse, fill in the blank. For Hebrews 10.25, do not go on forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some. And he says this to people who are being persecuted and having their livelihoods taken to them. Yet we look at work and we look at family and we look at all of these other things. I'm just too busy. My health just won't allow me. And all of these things. And we're like... "Eh." God has a different plan. It's called Facebook Live. Dear friends, that's not the gathering of the saints. No matter what reason you and I give, this is not the will of the Lord if it is sin. If the Bible clearly states, thou shalt not do, you don't get to say, thou shalt do. And what about the local church? How many times do we see another church, and we do something that appeals to our senses, and we think God wants us to do that? How about the music? God wants us to sing that song; and it sounds good. You know what God, God really, really wants us to to do? Like this church, and Brother Trey by the night. I forgot to mention this earlier. He's going to be talking about worship, and I need you to come, come and hear this. It's going to be so good this new study, but we want to base our worship services upon the, what appeals to us, our senses in other churches, and we never stop to recognize and see in scriptures that the Bible clearly gives us a way to worship. And so without searching the scriptures, what happens is we become pragmatic. Dear friends, Satan is always attempting to create in you the false perception that there is a new and better way. That there is a new and better way that you can have the crown and the kingdom without the cross. That you can somehow have this world without the difficulty and the trials. That you can have all of it without making sacrifices. Can I say to you today that you need to not trust in the, in the things of this world and Satan. But instead you need to trust in the clear and simple plan that is written out for you in the scriptures. You covet the glitter of another way or a better plan. And so therefore, you begin to abandon the plan and even the worship of God. But I'm here to tell you today, dear friends, that is sin. Because the scriptures clearly reveal, because the scriptures will always reveal the plan of God for your life. They will never negate it. God's will for your life is not hidden. It has been written out by pen and put into your hands. And literally, if you're holding your Bible right now, the plan and the will of God for your life is right in front of you. I call on you this morning I call on you this morning, FBC, when the glitter of this world tempts you to covet that which God has not given you, go to the Scriptures and read them. Go to the Scriptures and study them. Go get with another brother and sister and work through the Scriptures together that you may know what is right for your life. I call on you this morning that when Satan tries presenting you with another kingdom, A false kingdom that He does not own, by the way. He cannot give you that happiness. He cannot give you that joy that He is promising you. So go to the Scriptures and pray. Go to the Scriptures and pray that God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will empower you and strengthen you and protect you from embracing and falling into sin. And when Satan tries to entice you to sin, To diminish your worship of God. To diminish your obedience to God. Go to the scriptures and obey God. Go and obey God. Read the scriptures. Pray for the strength of the spirit. And obey what the Bible says. Oh dear friends, you will not be disappointed. Obey them. And you will know the joy... You will know the blessing of Christ, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but one day you will know the blessing of walking and choosing and living the correct plan that God has for you that he so lovingly gave you in the scriptures that you hold in your hands this morning. Let's pray.